I want to take you back this morning to the book of Joshua, just uh, in your mind. You don't have to turn there right uh, at this moment, but in, in your mind, go back with me to the end of Deuteronomy. Moses uh, has finished his course, as you know. Uh, God told him he would not be able to see the promised land, but there were two men who had been faithful uh, back 38, 40 years earlier when they sent the spies into the land of Canaan to check out the land. There were only two of them that came back and said, uh, God can enable us and we can do this thing. And that was Joshua and Caleb. They came back with that conviction that God would give them the land. The other ten says, no, it surely is a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants there and we're never going to be able to overtake them. And they discouraged the Israelites and the whole camp kind of rebelled there at Kadesh Barnea and refused to go into the promised land. And so God basically said to them, there's only two of you in this generation that will ever see the promised land, and that's Joshua and Caleb. So as we come to the end of Deuteronomy, turn the page, open to the book of Joshua, we find Joshua in a very interesting situation. Moses is off the scene. He has now stepped out of the shadow of Moses' leadership to come to the forefront. It is his responsibility to take the Israelites across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, and Joshua is feeling just a little bit intimidated by the task. And you kind of pick that up as the book opens and talks a little bit about Joshua's uh, feelings and, and wrestlings there, and the captain of the host of the Lord appears to him. And most Bible scholars uh, are convinced that that is actually a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, standing in front of Joshua, the captain of the armies of the hosts of the Lord. And as Christ interacts with Joshua on the eve of his real test of leadership and the first, you know, the first foray into the land of Canaan, he says these words to him in Joshua 1.8. Joshua, this book of the law, and he's talking about the book that Moses had written down by the inspiration of God that included Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books that we call the Pentateuch. Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall be careful to meditate on it day and night to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. In other words, God was saying to Joshua, if you immerse yourself in my word, if you study my word, if you make it a part of the fabric of your life, if you're thinking about it continually, if you're allowing my words to constantly be on the tip of your tongue and in the forefront of your thinking, I will guide your life in such a way that you will be fortified, you will be prosperous, you will be successful, and you will be able to do this thing that, that is set before you. That's a powerful verse of Scripture. Joshua only had five books that he could rely on. We now have 61 more for a total of 66. As the rest of the history of Israel has been written for us and the messages of the prophets and the poets, and you come to the New Testament, we have four Gospels that record the very words of Jesus Christ himself and tell the story of his life in the book of Acts that unfolds for us the story of the, of the birth and the development of the first century church. And then all the letters that were written by the various spiritual leaders to 
to give counsel to the church, all by divine inspiration. We have all of that literature that is given to us now, and how much more true the words. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night to be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I want to ask you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, We're going to start reading in verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to Timothy. And in very similar words, Paul is saying to Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3.14. I'll wait till you end. 2 Timothy 3.14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. You notice in Derwin Gray's testimony that he talks about how the naked preacher... By the way, you don't ever have to worry about me preaching to you in a towel. It's never going to happen. Russ gave a hearty amen to that in the last hour. I'm sure many of you are thinking it, but you, you will never have that experience with me. But anyway, um, as, as the naked preacher comes up to him, he begins to quote to him the words of Scripture. He turns to Romans. He turns to Corinthians. He begins to quote those words that the Holy Spirit uses to awaken Derwin's eyes and to convict his heart and to make him to realize that God loves him, that he's got a problem with God, but Jesus Christ has died for him and the way of salvation is open through faith in Christ. And he said, I was born again. Notice that Paul says to Timothy that the scriptures that you have learned from childhood, the sacred writings are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Because the Holy Spirit always accompanies His Word when it is presented in that way. And then Paul says these words, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now there's a couple of things that I want to just share with you out of this passage that uh, I think are important for our understanding and application. First of all, the Bible is the Bible. All Scripture is inspired by God. The Bible's the Bible. The Bible's the Bible when it's sitting on your shelf unread. It's your Bible. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God when it's read by an atheist. It's the Word of God when it's studied in an academic environment. It's the Word of God when a faithful follower of Jesus Christ holds it in front of them and prayerfully is seeking God through its pages. The Bible is always the Word of God. It doesn't become the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God that has been written down for us in those 66 books that I just referred to from Genesis to Revelation. In one sense of the word, the scriptures in that, uh, in that perspective are static. It is the eternal truth. And Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of this word shall pass away until everything has been fulfilled. 
So we begin at that point, that the Bible stands as the Word of God, even if you're not reading it. However, I like to think of, of, of the Scripture as, as being applied in two different ways. That static uh, record that God has given us that we can rely on, and the dynamic way that God uses it as He speaks to us. And to, to encourage you today by, by saying to you that when you open the Word of God in the presence of the Lord and read it prayerfully with a humble heart that says, Lord, teach me thy ways. Show me your will. Explain to me your heart. I want to do the things that you want me to do. Speak to me from your Word that the Holy Spirit of God will take the written Word of God and speak it freshly to you into your life as a dynamic and living Word for this moment. God wants you to encounter Him in His Word. All Scripture was breathed out by God to begin with. And as you open it in His presence, God wants to breathe it into your life. It is possible, and and the reason I'm belaboring this is it is possible to read the Bible without having that dynamic sense of the presence of God speaking the living Word. This happens to Bible college and seminary students all the time. They get immersed in the study of the Bible. They study Greek. They study Hebrew. Maybe they study Aramaic and other Semitic languages. They study hermeneutics. They study exegesis. They learn how to take everything apart. They study the Bible academically. And it is possible to be spending 30 or 40 or 50 hours a week studying the Bible and not only not know God, it's possible to lose touch with God. Because while there is benefit in learning the wherefores and all abouts of Scripture, in order for the Bible to become a living word in our lives, we have got to come into the presence of God with our Bible open and ask God to speak to us from the pages of His Word and and to say something to us that we need to hear for our lives today. And God is faithful to do that to those who will humble themselves in His presence. In fact, you are more likely to... In fact, I'll I'll go so far as to say the only way that you're going to really get a true understanding of what God has put in His Word is if you come humbly into His presence and say, Lord, I am Your servant. I love You. I want to hear from You. Please speak to me from your word. The academic with a a string of degrees that comes to the scripture and says, well, I know all the languages and I know the grammar and I have all the background and I've studied the culture and I can tell you what this means. Very often can't. Or even if they do get it right in the academic sense, their lectures are lifeless and dull and non-transformational because it's merely communicating information. God wants to speak to our hearts. And you know what's amazing is the Bible never grows old. The Bible never grows old, you know. Um, I read a novel, I read it once, I don't particularly want to read it again. Sometimes I may come back years later and read one again, if I thought it was particularly good. But generally, 
I, I, I read a book, I'm done, I put it aside, I, I don't go back to it. But I find that the Bible always has something fresh for me every time I come into God's presence and open the Word and He speaks to me. I see things that I've never seen before. And I have been studying the Bible all my life. When I say all my life, I, I came to Christ when I was seven years old. I was already in Sunday school. I was already going to Bible school, vacation Bible school. I was already memorizing Scripture. I made a commitment to Jesus Christ at the age of seven, and I was serious about that. I took that literature that uh, Billy Graham's uh, counselors gave me, I took it home, and I did the studies, and I sent them in, and I got more back in the mail. And at seven years of age, I was studying the Scriptures. I had a period of time in my life uh, when my dad died that I uh, was angry and bitter and frustrated with God, and we were sort of at, at opposite ends. But God was faithful enough to let me go, and within a year or so, He brought me full circle back in a time of personal revival. And again, I was immersed in His Word. And all my life, I've studied Scripture. And yet still, when I prepare a message, or when I uh, am reading in my devotional time, I open the Scripture and say, God, speak to me. God, show me something. God, talk to me. What is it you want to say? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to the congregation? I'm always amazed at what God has to say. You know, Martin Luther of the book of James said this. It's a right strawy epistle. Now, what he meant by that was it's, uh, it's thin and, and not good for much. It's like straw. Uh, you know, there's, I was pointed out the difference when we had the straw out here. Uh, I called it hay. And one of the farmers among us said, that's not hay, that's straw. There's a difference. And there is a difference. And straw is not necessarily good for nourishment. might be good to throw in the bottom of the stall, but it has a different purpose. Luther said, the book of James is a right strawy epistle. Um, the book of James, if you read it uh, at a glance, seems to be at odds with some of the things that Paul says in Galatians. In fact, James actually says in one section of his letter... So we see that Abraham was saved by works and not by faith. And you, and you kind of scratch your head and say, wow, that's kind of strange because Paul says you see that Abraham was saved by faith and not by works. And you look at that and you read it and for the first time, I don't know what it was. Yesterday, I was reading a devotional book um, by Andrew Murray on divine healing and that kind of led me to look at the passage in James on healing. That kind of led me to read the book of James. And I'm, I'm reading James saying, Lord, talk to me. And I saw the book of James in a totally new light. I saw it like I'd never seen it before. I, I saw compassion and, and a heart that James had for the people that he was writing to. And, and that, that whole section kind of took on new meaning for me as I compared it to the chronology of what actually happened in Abram's life. You'll have to wait for a future sermon to get the insight on that. But I came upon a verse that leapt out at me as being really the heart and soul of the book of James, where he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And I thought, wow, God, you're telling me about how to live. That mercy triumphs over judgment. And then I, I saw the whole book was really about that theme and that James was giving a very compassionate book. I'm telling you, you can never exhaust the Scriptures. 
always something God wants to say that you haven't seen before. It is rich and full of meaning. And every time you open it, God will be talking to you about himself and about your about life and, and so on. So Paul says to Timothy, the word of God is the word of God can teach you many things about life. I mean, some, some people say, oh, it's just, you know, it, it, it's just kind of instruction for religion. Um, or it's just instruction for kind of being morally uh, arena of life. Many years ago in Franklin, Tennessee, I had a um, Bible study with men. We met every Wednesday morning at local restaurants. We'd meet about 6 or 6.30, and all the guys that attended that study owned their own businesses, or they were senior-level management in their businesses. And uh, we were studying about just basically how to be godly men in business. And at some point, this man. And we began to look at the book of Proverbs, verse by verse, and uh, look at all different, and uh, and we wrote, you know, at the top. Okay, this goes with sales. This goes with marketing. This goes territory. This goes with uh, human re- uh, relations, uh, uh, human resources. This goes, you know, in in this area. And we would write one of the proverbs down based on how it fit into business. And we found out kinds of nuances of meaning that God has built into the Proverbs the application of how to be successful in business. You can do this for a munition, whatever. You can find amazing things in the book of Proverbs that will talk to you very practically about your daily life and whatever realm you live it. Practical guidance and direction for us, built into His Word, it can teach us all kinds of things. You may have heard of the book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Well, everything you ever really needed to know, you can learn in the Bible. You know, it, it may not have physics, it may not have trigonometry, it may not have microeconomics, or, or some of those other courses that you still have the guidance that we need for everyday life in in every arena it can give us wisdom and direction Paul also says it's profitable for correction for reproof you know when we make bad choices it's the word of God it's it's the scriptures that can teach us how to fix things by the grace of God and in the power of his Holy Spirit it's interesting that Jesus says in one place, you talk about interpersonal relationships. And Jesus says, if you come to church and you bring an offering, and, and, and as you're about to give your offering, you realize that you've got a problem with another another sister. The scripture says, Jesus himself says, you need to go and make that situation right. And if you have ought against your brother, this is a different passage. If you've got ought against your brother, in other words, you've got a problem with your brother, Go talk to him. It doesn't say go tell it to the church. It doesn't say go. It says go talk to him. Go settle it face to face. Come into a, a you know a 
a relationship there, eyeball to eyeball, and talk about it. And if you can't fix it, and they're really sinning, and you didn't get any satisfaction, take one other person with you. Keep the containment small. Confront the issues directly. It's amazing. It's amazing how the Scriptures have practical guidance for correcting, reproving, challenging us, setting us back on the right track whenever we've made bad decisions. The Bible has counsel for us. It's also profitable for training in righteousness. It is in the Scripture that we learn the character of God. He is revealed through His Word. And as we read the Bible, we find out what He's like. And as we learn what He's like, we find out what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us by His power, that we begin to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the Scriptures, we find everything we need that every follower of Jesus Christ can be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work in life. David says in Psalm 19, and maybe you want to turn there quickly for just a moment, Psalm 19, verse 7. Psalms are in the middle of your Bible. 19 is toward the front of Psalms because there's 150 of them. By the way, did you know that Psalm 117 is the shortest verse in the Bible, is the shortest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 118 is the middle chapter of the Bible, and Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. That's pure academic trivia, <laughs> but it's interesting to know. Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Oh, they're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You know, when you think about what David says in Psalm 19, he basically says, your word is more precious than anything on this earth. It, it's sweeter than anything I've ever tasted your word, O oh God, is my food, it's my drink, it's my life, it's my heart. It's something to treasure and to value. The word of God is precious. It needs to be a part of our daily diet. We need to allow the word of God to seep into the pores of our being. You know, every person, one of the reasons why we get in trouble with legalism, I'm not going to tell you how much of the Bible to read, or when during the day to read it, or, or even that you have to read it every single day, or whether it's morning or evening, you've got to work that out with God. Follow the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you how to memorize Scripture. I mean, there's all kind of memory tools out there, and there's all kind of ways to memorize. Some people memorize better than others. Some people memorize and don't have a clue what they've memorized. I mean, they, they can recite it, but they don't have any idea what it means. That's not very effective. God said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Not, not from in front of your face, but out of your mouth. 
on the tip of your tongue, in the front of your mind. You shall meditate on it day and night. It's far better that you take a smaller portion of Scripture and think about it than that you plow through a Bible reading program and, and get through it and don't remember what you read. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. If you memorize Scripture by address, front and back, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16, that's fine. That works. But do you know what's in the middle of the sandwich? Is it a part of your life? Have you spent time contemplating it? The Word of God needs to be a part of the fabric of your being as you think about it in the presence of God, and as it begins to shape your thinking, and as it begins to form your worldview and give you God's perspective, Jesus, in person before the Incarnation, said to Joshua, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God has the answers for life. And He will talk to you through His Word. It's a vital part of our daily being. Father, I ask You to make Your Word precious and alive and real to us. I pray that we would seek You in it and that we would find You faithful to speak it freshly to us by Your Spirit as You apply it to our heart. May we be those who treasure the Word in our heart. It is a lamp to our feet, a light for our path. Lead us, Lord, in Your Word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.